Hello and welcome to On The Lamb, Doof Media's dive into Wabo's most sticky, icky work. I'm Ruben Morehouse. And I'm Elliot Diebold. And oh boy, that new intro music. It's, it's, oh, it's very twig, isn't it's it? It's very twig appropriate. Um, no, that's the <laughs> intro music for Pilot Season. Uh, this is one of our shows that we're doing for Pilot Season. If you're not familiar with what that is, basically we're going to try out eight different pilots, the first episodes of eight different shows, and we're giving you all the opportunity to vote on which ones you like and which ones you'd like to see us continue. Not that we're going to just listen to your votes, we're also going to choose, but have your say, it does It does matter to us. Um, yeah, we're not 100% sure where we want to go from here, so knowing what you all want is just as important as knowing what we want, and pilot season is a way for us to explore that, you know, for us and for you. Yes, um, this pilot is the pilot to On the Lamb, which is our deep dive into Wild Bo's Twig, uh, because it wouldn't be a possible, you know, new show for the Doof Media Network if uh, if doing a Wild Bo deep dive wasn't on the cards. <laughs> yes, uh, and, and obviously special thanks to Kirkistan, yes. who uh, donated during All Packed Up to make this episode uh, a reality. Kirkistan felt very passionately that we should touch on Twig, and I'm glad they did. Yeah. But now, enough of this goddamn housekeeping. Let's start talking about some twig, am I right? Um, okay. This episode, we'll be covering Arc 1, Taking Root. So let's start with Taking Root 1.1, where we meet the lambs. Sylvester, our protagonist. Gordon, the golden boy. Helen, the uh, mysterious girl, I'll just call her. <laughs> um, Jamie, the quiet one. And Lillian, the outsider. Uh, they're a group of children between, what, 12 and 14. And they track down a man who has made a monstrous snake cat monster. And they then feed him to it. And these are our heroes. Yeah, it seems like the right word for them. Yes, they're um, heroes, all of them. I mean, Gordon <laughs> kind of is a hero. Like he, like a Greek hero kind of vibe. Yeah, uh, yeah, Greek hero is perfect for it. Because we, you know, we see more of him later and he's hardly... I think Sai says he's not noble later, yes. and I think that's the perfect phrase for it. He's he's this sort of classic Greek hero in in all the various senses yes, that that entails. Exactly, um, which I quite like. Uh, actually, it feels like I mean the setting of of this story isn't this at all, but it kind of feels like this vibe of like Greek mythology running through it. Like you you kind of get allusions to things like Prometheus throughout this uh, arc. Yeah, there are a lot of uh, like Greek and Roman. Um, yes. references to stuff like that that clearly holds a lot of weight in this world and uh, you're right i think there are a lot of fun references to that hidden throughout the arc in fact even the name of the story twig is a uh reference to a greek word uh the word i think klonos which means twig which is the mm-hmm. root word for clone uh, and that's yeah. why it's called twig Yes, these are all facts that we knew before reading the interlude, of course, of course. <laughs> we'll get to... <laughs> I can't remember who it was on the Discord, but somebody called out that it was a real take-that-you-worm moment <laughs> at the end of the interlude. And I was like, you know what? It totally is, and I'm all for it. Um, anyway. Oh, I, I, needed, I needed that connection explained <laughs> to me. I'm, I'm going to admit it. I wouldn't have made that myself. Um, let's talk about this story, though. Um, sure. Yeah, because these characters are our protagonists. Uh, Sylvester, specifically is our protagonist while the rest of his, you know, his team. Um, and I think this is the only Wild Bo work that, where the main characters aren't, like, good, like, <laughs> with a capital G, you know? Like, um, I, I won't get into spoilers, but at the start of this, each of these stories, the, these characters are all, like, heroic, right? In, in the actual sense of the word, not in the slimy Greek hero way. They're actual heroes. And you can tell immediately that Twig is very different. These children are not good. Um, and the fact that they're children and not, like, kind-hearted also is quite fun. Um, but yeah, this world is clearly more grey 
than any of Wabo's other worlds, and our our main characters really uh, inhabit that that you know that middle ground with gusto. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Like most most of the other Wabo works. In fact, most other stories start by introducing you to the good aspects of of our main characters, whereas Twig as you said, opens with them like feeding this guy to the, to his snake cat monster thing. And I think what's really fun about it is before this sort of happens, he goes on and he has this big speech about how the Academy is awful and has made the world terrible. And, and he brings up all these, you know, to me, they seem like fairly valid points about what's wrong with the Academy. Yep. And the, the kids only response to it is, yep, we work for them. Like they, they don't, <laughs> they don't try and contradict any of his moral arguments as well, and I think that really helps sell. Just that, yeah, they're not heroes in in the sort of superhero sense. They're just they're just completely okay with being on the bad side from the looks of it. Is sort of the impression I got well, while reading this the first time. Yeah, I mean, we learn throughout the rest of this arc that their relationship with the academy is complicated, obviously. Mm. But they definitely don't seem to care that people think that they're shitty. <laughs> like, that ship's yeah. kind of sailed for them, right? Yeah, there's no attempt to justify themselves at all. Yes. Um, whether that's because they don't need to or because they don't think they need to, you know. But or just they don't care like, to, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, yeah, like... <laughs> You know, right from the get-go, it's sort of like we learn that this is a world that's pretty shit and this gang doesn't really seem interested in trying to fix that. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. <laughs> Which is, uh, it's different coming from uh, doing Deep Impact. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's talk about the first lines of this story, shall we? Uh, I'll, I'll read out sure. the first few lines here. How does it go? The first lesson, something even the uninitiated know. For life to flourish on the most basic level, it requires four elements, carbon, oxygen, nitrogen, and hydrogen. And that's our introduction to the world of, of Twig. Um, it's interesting. And, and, you know, that's why people come to On the Lamb, of course. That's our unique proposition amongst the Diff Media Network is we always talk about uh, and compare the Wabo works, obviously, as, as you've seen so far. So let's compare this one to the other Wabo works. What do you think, Elliot? <laughs> I, I, I mean, I really like this as an opening line. I, it, it puts you in that biology mindset, like, straight away, mm. which, you know, is obviously important yes. for the story, from the looks of it. Um, maybe I'll finally get some use out of that stupid molecular biology degree that I mistakenly got. Mm. Um, but, yeah, like I, like, I love the way it's then used throughout the rest of the chapter to, like, set the scene like it's just it's a really clever little writing thing where um Cy in his narration then goes through and lists like the carbon in the room the oxygen the nitrogen and the hydrogen yeah like it's it's just a really fun way to introduce us to the scene and the world and like what's happening right now yeah it definitely feels very thematic uh doesn't it um which is good i i think it i i wonder thinking about the first lines to other Wabo works, obviously Pact we just covered, um, the way that those first three phrases of damn me, damn them, damn it all were repeated throughout the story. I'm, I'm wondering, I'm kind of thinking off the top of my head, how would that be possible with these words? And what cool ways can this concept be, uh, you know, be repeated throughout the story or kind of re-hit? And I'm not sure. I'm excited to see whether that happens. Yeah, cool. Focus on, you know biology stuff yeah. there like there's there's a, there's a lot more to play with um but like you you, you mentioned like how, how great this is at setting the scene and i think that's something this chapter just does incredibly like overall mm. um 
so for reference i'm kind of reading off of notes as we're talking that i that i was writing as i read through the arc mm. so um like something i've already written here after just reading the first chapter is how effective stuff like you know they're in a barn that was converted into a warehouse that was half converted into something else Sai so sort of looks out the window and sees that like all the buildings in this city are like supported by like trees that have grown in but they're not always grown in right like it's just so immediately like yeah it's it's so immediately sort of put into your head that this is a world that's been haphazardly raised quickly and inefficiently like yeah you know, the the academy is built on these shitty trees that cyanotes are reeking of decay like it, it it's so it, it's so tenuous everything that this world is built on and it's all rushed and and not done properly and the fact that that is sort of shown to you just through the architecture of of the like the first scene is really cool yeah you're right that the story does have this vibe of things being a bit kind of slapdash um, even yeah. in, I would say even in like the most intricate things we see in the story, which are these kind of scientific experiments that, that obviously are a major part of the story, um, they never feel like, they always feel like they never have gone completely correctly. <laughs> like they've always yeah, gone yeah. about 90% correct at best. Like nothing ever goes right in this world. And that's the kind of world that we're introduced to. Yeah, I, and like that's absolutely the vibe I got, even from this first chapter. And I think that's a testament to how well set up the the world is in yeah. this writing. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it's a fun opening. Um, uh, basically, the the setting that we get is uh, that there's a place called the Academy, or the Academy near them is Radham Academy. But we get the sense that the Academy is a kind of, you know, an organization that exists in multiple places. With yeah, with Fr- franchise. Franchise seems like an overly, like, economical term yes. for it, but, like, it, it seems like the Academy is a franchise type well, thing. Well, yeah, almost like a university, um, or like yeah. a series of universities, you know, like, it's yeah. the Ivy League, right? Um, and in this Academy, uh, people study, but they also do experiments. Uh, bringing monsters to life, basically, is the one type of thing that people do, <laughs> is trying to push the envelope in terms of uh, technology, but not, uh, not, you know, silicon chips, but life. Um, so the, 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 the setting is like this Gothic biopunk setting, right? That's the phrase that people call it, but you know, I've never actually read any biopunk stuff before. That's just kind of what I know of Twig. And it's interesting because, you know, we've got the Parahumans universe, we've got Pact, which are both like existing genres. They're quite well known. Superhero stuff obviously is well known in today's Mm. uh, Marvel movie era. And Pact is modern supernatural, which is again, very popular. You've got your Harry Potters, you've got your Dresden Fileses, you've got whatever else. Supernatural itself, I suppose. Um, and Wabo definitely, like, took these genres and did his whole, like, deconstruction, reconstruction thing on them. But this is not a genre, at least to me, that that is, like, immediately obvious. I can't immediately go, oh yeah, so there'll be, like, these kinds of monsters and there'll be these kinds of problems. Like, that just doesn't really exist in the in the zeitgeist as much so i'm really interested to see what kind of world wabo will create when he's not doing this whole deconstruction thing he's he's just kind of creating a relatively unique world yeah you're right like biopunk is an underexplored genre like for me the sort of first thoughts are like bioshock um as 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 the most biopunky thing i can think of but it's also as you mentioned there's a real victorian like gothic vibe Yes. to this which also puts me in mind of all the all the sort of gothic horror 
like you know really old school stories so uh you know picture dorian gray frankenstein well yeah i think frankenstein is a big one right um yeah yeah frankenstein i think is is a a very big influence on this story um but, but like a lot of the others but that's sort of that's kind of the world i almost picture is is just victorian gothic horror um and you, you know that's that's not as strong a genre as something like superhero yeah, or modern supernatural uh, it is a, modern you're day. right that it is you know we've got your jekyll and hydes your your draculas whatever yeah. these are obviously well-known things and i guess that's the the genre that we're playing in here is gothic horror but it it definitely you're right it's not and it's it's not one that i think is as popular or as kind of tropey um so i'm interested to see yeah where we go um, it's not as widespread at least today it was obviously more widespread back then yes but now it's not <laughs> um back then when Robbo wrote this story like two years ago <laughs> no i mean back everywhere. then as in as in when like frankenstein and, and all of those was we got to talk the, more about frankenstein actually because that's such a like influence on this text right because and i don't know if this is this isn't a spoiler but it's like meta knowledge i guess which is that um mary shelley who wrote frankenstein her uh, middle name or her mother's maiden name or something was Wallstone, which gets re- uh, you stolen. You've stolen that from my notes later on. Oh, are we already going to talk about so, this? I'm sorry. I was so proud of that pick. Oh, okay. Well, uh, <laughs> never mind. I didn't say anything. We'll get to. We'll see if we talk about that later. <laughs> okay. Um. So the other thing that from this chapter that we like. So obviously we're set up uh, with with Sylvester Sai as he prefers to go by, uh, um, as our protagonist, and the the. The one strong piece of characterization we get from him in this chapter is that he is a perv. Like, he looks up uh, Lillian's skirt a few times, numerous references, and he's like 12 to 13, so, like, right around the age where it's a bit weird to start doing that. <laughs> and But he does it, and he kind of just does it to fuck with her, like, because he knows it'll annoy her. Yeah, like, I, I wouldn't have classified him as a, as a perv in the sense that like in his head we say i don't really think there was any sexual motivation to it or anything he just knew it was going to upset her and that that was the goal like well, you know yes. if something else would have upset her just as much i think he would have done it and he does do that later on which we'll talk about yeah. but um <laughs> it wasn't an accident that she said oh i know you if we go first you'll just look up my skirt like that's clearly something that he has done before in the past i mean either that or and again we're jumping ahead like knowing a bit more about them i think she's probably just drawing this line between something bad is something sai would do oh yeah like it might be a self-fulfilling prophecy where she assumes he'll do it because it's a bad thing to do and then so then she says it and he's like well well i've got to do it now yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) um yeah and that's it we've talked about like we've talked about chapter one for like 15 minutes is that the end of the episode elliot is that it no we're trying something new now we've still got 12 more to go oh we're doing the whole arc are we all right all right um so yeah i mean we've we've come to the end of the first chapter but i just kind of want to get temperature check on how you feel about the lamb so far who's your favorite lamb um yeah what do you think about him Uh, i like lamb as a name um yeah i i mean i'm just reading off the notes that i wrote here when i was only one chapter in because they've changed a little bit but um Sai was an instant winner for me um people who followed like our other stuff particularly deep impact will know how excited i get for characters that are just genuinely awful people um <laughs> but i don't and, like i think that's yes Sai is terrible but he's not he's yeah. not evil right no we'll we'll get into that a lot more yeah. i think there's a there's a lot more depth to Sai that that comes out but you know like these cheeky asshole characters yes. who like uh, some of my favorites um so i was instantly kind of won over i think like the first time we actually see size 
personality come through in his in his narration is when he thinks it's funny how they're not flourishing like he references that opening line about how life needs four things to flourish then he walks through how all four of those things are in this scene and he thinks to himself but we're not flourishing and he he thinks it's funny (laughs) and you're just kind of like yeah it's just kind of like okay this there's something wrong with this kid um yeah and then he, he he feels he's so smug throughout the rest of it i was just instantly on board um then I just kind of had that all the others were still mysteries to me. I, I thought Helen seemed the most interesting, which, you know, I, I think I stand by at the end of arc one. But interesting. Let's, let's address that yeah. again at the end, I suppose. Yeah, let's see how your tastes change over the course of arc one. Um, so, yeah, the lambs uh, head back home after their adventure, only to find their dad, in air quotes, Mr. Hale, who is um, managing... Actually, I don't think we know at this point exactly who Mr. Hale is to them, um, but clearly some kind of authority figure, right? No, they, they, they figure out in this chapter that he's... or They, they mention in this chapter that he's, like, the creator of oh, okay. them, basically. Never mind. There we go. Um, so, yeah, their, their dad is here, Mr. Hale, and he basically grills them a bit about their mission uh, before he gets... He takes Sylvester to get patched up because Sylvester got badly injured in this <laughs> fight. Uh, yeah, and, I mean, this chapter does a really cool thing. You know, chapter one focused on introducing us to the world mostly like as well as the characters a bit i felt like this chapter really started to dive into Psy and how he thinks what he was thinking about others um uh, what they think about him um yeah it's it's like this is where you this is where the personality of Psy really starts to come out and you start to see who who he is um and i i mean i'm sure we'll talk about that a lot more over the next i think that's most of what we're going to be talking about (laughs) um there's also a fun delivery on like the wax here so for the first chapter and a half they're covered in this waterproof wax uh and it turns out like you know that was to block the smell from the the snake cat creature um but something else that's mentioned a few times so at these first two chapters is that stitches which are like these you know frankenstein's monster-esque like uh slave creature no, no, things. Elliot, the doctor was called frankenstein's monster the creature was called frankenstein's monster's monster oh my bad um but you know like th- those things are susceptible to water like the stitches get damaged by water and so like i know that you know th- these kids aren't stitches and perhaps with the exception of helen and eventually mary you know they're they're all mostly well, that they were at some point like normal people. I think it's drawing this subtle line between those two things in our head. Like the fact that they have this waterproof wax that they're avoiding getting wet with um, at the start, and then you know we find out stitches aren't immune to or you know are damaged by water. It's drawing this line of like you know between these kids and artificialness. All right, I'm sorry to do this again, Elliot, but I absolutely have to. When we were talking about Pact, towards the end of Pact, and if you haven't listened to Pact, just tune out for a little bit. I mean, it's not spoilers, it'll be fine. We were talking about how it deals with concepts of humanity and what is humanity, but it doesn't go super deep in that. Um, And this feels like a reaction to that. Like, this story is already bringing up questions of, like, what is life? What is humanity? Let's dive into this. Like, are the lambs human? Is Mary human? Is Helen human? Who knows? Um, I, I'm excited to to follow this along. But you're right. We we start seeing these lines being drawn of you know stitches are clearly not human because they're basically zombies, right? Um, but we start getting these points of well, what's human, what isn't, and I'm I'm really interested to see that uh, play out more. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Sai even I think thinks that at one point it might even be in this chapter about yeah like the the concept of humanity is a line that is constantly getting blurred in this world and i can't wait to see that get played with um throughout the rest of the story yeah 
Yeah, definitely. Um, so the thing I like about this chapter is uh, last chapter, Sai talks to this boy who comes across them while they're in the warehouse and basically says, hey, go to this place and do this thing. And we don't understand what it's for at the time and it doesn't pay off in that chapter. But in this chapter, it does pay off. The boy has tipped over some water, as Sai told him to do, and this water has messed with the stitched horses that, that was in the coach and caused a distraction, enough time for Sai to, to, to uh, make a play that he was planning out, you know, a few moves in advance. And so we basically get this fruition of this plan that he's made. And this is, like, who Sai is, right? He's a planner. He makes these, like, tricksy little plans. Yeah, well, he's yeah, he's a manipulator, and, and that's something you already start to pick up on this early on i think um and it's 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 very fun yeah yeah definitely um and let's talk about his name sylvester right and he goes by sly but usually sylvester is abbreviated as sly right like sly stallone um which i think is fun that he both that that's the case and that he doesn't like going by that because sly is a exact accurate description for what <laughs> sylvester is right like sly is if you have to pick one word to sum him up sly would probably be it yeah yeah i think so um i think there's a lot of interesting stuff we're going to get to talk about with regards to sigh and his own relationship to his personality yes um but i mean the other thing that jumped out to me here was that sylvester sort of comes like, as a name comes from the latin word for forest mm. which I don't know what to do with Forests yet, but I, like this have twigs. I don't know. I'm just yeah, saying. Yeah, they have lots of twigs. <laughs> exactly. This is gonna be one of those things where you know, towards the end of the story, I'll be able to be like, ah, oh, forest, um, of course. <laughs> but for right now, I'm just like interesting. I'm filing it away. Yeah. Um, so we get a bit more information about uh, the lambs and who they are. Um, well, except Lillian. Lillian is not an experiment, as far as we know. Um, but the rest of them, Helen is Project Galatea. Jamie is Project Caterpillar, Gordon is Project Griffin, and Sylvester is Project Wyvern. And, um, yeah, so we don't, like, get much information beyond that, but it's fun to take a look at these names and try and read into them. Um, especially Helen, yeah. who is Galatea, which was a Greek myth of a statue of a woman that came to life, which, like, pretty much describes Helen as far as we know so far. <laughs> yeah, what's really funny is, like, I have sort of written here in, in my notes, in like, after reading 1.2, that like because helen had such a focus on like already being an actress like yes. even at 1.2 you could see that all of her emotions and facial expressions were like being noted by size like being put on so i had this whole thing about how she was like the perfect clay and that that's where the sort of the, the statue that came to life thing came in she's like clay that could mold herself uh it turns out that may have been like more literally literally true than i <laughs> could possibly imagine because that's what she seems to be able to do um i suppose we'll get there um but yeah i mean gordon being griffin is is fun like because he's you know this griffin is so Gryffindor, powerful and majestic what you wanted to say. <laughs> um it's gonna be really fun like i'm i'm excited to see gordon get challenged later in the story i assume he'll maybe get taken down some pegs or something mm. uh lose a bit of that heroic flair that sort of defines him um that could be fun i mean Cy being project wyvern as well like he's a snake i mean that uh, yeah that seems to track for me yeah um and then Jamie being Caterpillar was probably the one that I sat there staring at the longest. I was like, I don't know what this means. Um, I guess I want to wait for him to come out of his cocoon as a beautiful butterfly later. That's yeah. like the only thing I've got with that. What does that mean, um, though? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, I have no, no idea what direction that's heading in. Yeah. Um, I think Cy calls him a bookworm later on, but I was like, surely Mr. Hale's not 
not calling a caterpillar because <laughs> it's a bookworm. That makes no sense. Named after his favorite book, The Very Hungry Caterpillar. <laughs> Yeah, um, I don't know. I mean, should we talk about, like, our history with Twig? We probably should have done that in the intro, but we didn't. Um, Oh, yes. I've read, like, half of it, or some of it, I don't know, maybe a third, up to, like, Arc 8. So I know a bit of where this story's going, but a lot of it is still unknown to me. Yeah, uh, and then obviously I I hadn't read any of it before. I kind of knew it was this biopunk setting, and I knew Sylvester wasn't, like, a traditional hero, uh, and that was that was pretty much That's it. That's like to the be first honest. three lines, though. So yeah, exactly. That doesn't get you that far. <laughs> no, that yeah, that got me basically no way. I think about halfway through arc one, uh, chapter one, I was like, well, yep, yeah, okay, but this has addressed all my foreknowledge. Yeah. Um. So, uh, chapter two ends with uh, us understanding what Sylvester was trying to get at by looking at the files for these for his for the lambs. He was trying to find their expiration date um, because these are experiment and experiments especially clones presumably don't have a great shelf life um so yeah we've got another protagonist with an expiration date which is fun it's a it's an interesting ticking clock that knowing wild bow is going to pay off in some horrifying ways yeah because we don't actually get uh like explanation on what sai finds here um he's actually hinted at like a, a bit more later on that it, he maybe didn't get the best news when he's chatting to mary later but yeah um, we don't find out exactly what he saw here, uh, which so it's a fun little mystery. Um, but like for me, I think it was super important to learn this early on that that Psy is you know to some degree artificial, mm. um, or you know he he's being manipulated to be the way he is because I think it helps you absolve him a little bit of what a terrible person he can be at times because like you know if he was this much of an asshole and that was sort of just him, you you could sort of look at it and be like oh. Um, you know, this is awful. Whereas, like, knowing that he's been made this way by this, you know, evil corporate-ish academy, I'm just sort of like, well, you know, it's not his fault. He's he's doing his best. Yeah. Like, it made it made me much more able to get on his side, which I, which I thought was super important. Yeah. I mean, the thing that we haven't touched on yet is the dynamic between these characters, where Sai is, like, a part of the family, right? Like, even though he is probably the the most malicious of all of them... Um, he he clearly cares for them a lot, and they care for him a lot, and that's why he's doing this expiration date thing, right? Is he already mm. kind of knows when his expiration date is, but he wants to try and help the others as much as he can. That's the thing, and, and you're right, and because we do actually see that, like he's not completely selfish. He is actually looking out for his his team or his friends, his family yeah. as well. So you're right. Between that and learning that it's not all his fault because he was kind of made this way, it makes it a lot easier to get on board with him and enjoy when he's just being an asshat. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right, two cha- two chapters down. <laughs> uh, let's move on to one point three, uh, where Sylvester is basically a huge asshole to everybody uh, at the academy, but we somehow end up liking him or kind of liking him anyway. Um, he's informed by Hale about the team's mission. They're tracking down murderous children at an academy prep school. Um, he goes in to meet the rest of his team and starts plotting away. Yeah. Um, so this chapter is like a really interesting, uh, like again, examining Sai from a new angle, which is sort of how he responds to not his family. Like last time I talked about how, you know, in 1.2, he, he we learn like what he's like around other people who are familiar to him. Here we just see how awful he is if you're a stranger. Like he's, you know, he's not the most social guy, uh, the way he locks himself in this room and everything. Yeah. Um, but again, we're also learning here how much this doesn't really throw off anyone 
that much because you know that's what he's been made to be like <laughs> and that's just kind of who he is right this is not yeah. unexpected behavior for Sai. everyone's just kind of like oh not this again Sai. instead of being like <laughs> why the fuck have you put a bookshelf in front of the door how did you even yeah. do that <laughs> yeah um yeah let's talk about uh so he he's driven to the academy by someone called lacy who is you know one of his handlers and he has this scene where he basically very methodically almost machiavellian he lures her into a conversation and then just like makes her question her entire moral viewpoint um and it's insane right because sai <laughs> is so kind or not kind but like care see not caring what's the word he cares about the rest of the lambs i guess but with lace and even with hale he's cordial if a bit cold but with Lacey, he's genuinely a monster to her right like this is the worst thing that i think we see him do the entire arc yeah well i mean obviously it, it pays dividends in 1.12 yes so maybe we should talk about it a bit more there but like this is one of the first instances where we start to see how much Sai frames everything in in terms of conversations through this lens of like a a competition or yeah. or a, or a chess match he's trying to manipulate everyone with everything that he does and says um and, and you know like this conversation is where we really sort of learn quite early on um that you know the whole point of this team is they are all meant to be they are all kind of all meant to fit tropes and work together as like an ultimate team you know like hale's trying to build a very complementary assassin group of, of children um and it, it's so fun trying to sort of see where Sai fits into that as the kind of chaotic wild card like i guess yeah. like he's he's someone that's designed to uh, i mean you know i guess to, to steal his own metaphor later to shake to shake all the bugs in the box yeah yeah it, yeah you're right he he doesn't fit uh in the team that like when you think about the archetypes in the team Sai is the one that doesn't feel like a whole puzzle piece you know and we kind of hmm. learn that um, the way Sylvester thinks about himself, at least, is that he's only really alive because some of the other ones failed, and so they needed as many alive as they could get, um, which is insane. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it kind of explains a lot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'm keen to get more details on on, the, on those people. But like, I think what we also sort of learn is Sai is one of the most valuable people in the team. So it's really interesting how he's like, I, I think I agree with you. It's the archetype I probably wouldn't have thought of if I was trying to design a team to function like this. But in the end, he's, I think he's one of the, the most important pieces. Mm. Yes, I mean, as we see, he's very, very useful when he's in his element. Um, yeah. And as Sai gets into his element, uh, we get this beautiful line to finish out this chapter where he says, I smiled. The pain in my head was going away by the second. Um, and it's, the, the vibe it gave me was Sherlock Holmes. It gave me him being like, the, the game is afoot, let's get, get into it kind of vibe. Um, <laughs> And I think it's because Twig is, you know, a bit Victorian, like that gothic horror vibe. And also, obviously, Sai is quite a plotter, quite a figure it out and tell the tell the Watsons that are hurrying after you out, out on the way. Um, I mean, he's also he's also about as humble as Sherlock. Yeah, um, he, he has a he has an arrogant streak in him for sure. Yes, yeah, I I, I just got that strong vibe, and I think it will be uh, supported by the rest of this arc as we go. Uh, but yeah, it's just. Despite how much of an asshole he is, it's hard not to enjoy him as a character. Yeah, uh, like my favorite quote from this chapter comes not not long after that, where he meets the headmistress, um, and she she lies to him, and he's like, and he thinks to himself, 
Two lies in one, uh, sorry, two lies in two breaths, straight to my face. I almost liked her. Um, like he's just he revels in playing in the muck in yep. such a fun way. Yeah, love it. Um, so let's move on to one point four, uh, where Sai does some Machiavellian planning, uh, intentionally gets himself into a fight that he can't win, and finally makes a break in the case where he sees at least some of our murderous children. Yeah, like it is really fun getting to see Sai in his element here. Like I think from the moment we're told in one point three that like we're driving to root out some assassins in a school, I was kind of immediately like, okay, this seems like it would be what Sai is built for and you know we learn that the others are, are stuck um and and you know Sai obviously fixes that pretty fucking quickly yeah, almost immediately um, <laughs> he just starts fucking shit up but in a productive way yeah but it's like you know this is such a fun opening arc challenge because it's so perfectly suited to Sai, so we get to see how valuable he can be which is you know what we were just talking about yeah exactly um yeah it it is such a great environment for Sai because it allows him to play up his character you know Allows him yes. to play up his manipulative child character that he kind of puts on, um, which is great. Yeah, well, yeah, and no. You don't think... Well, puts on maybe isn't the right phrase. Yeah, no, he, he puts it on, but not entirely, yes. it would be my phrasing. Yes, yeah, fair enough. Um, so, yeah, here's a fun wrinkle, again, to Sai's character that differentiates him from other Wildboro protagonists, is uh, he's terrible at physical confrontations. Um, like, the the fight in this chapter isn't much of a fight, but it's demonstrated to us just how bad Sai is at fighting. Like, he just can't do anything here. <laughs> um, he's yeah, he's terrible. He's your, yeah, he's, he's a mastermind manipulator. He's not, like, he's not the fist thrower. But, um, but even he thinks, I can't remember if it's at this point or later in this arc, but he even thinks that Jamie would be able to take him in a fight. And Jamie is like... Yeah the typical the nerd, nerd. <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> yeah. yeah jamie is is by design the group's nerd from the looks of yes. it and and size still less of a physical threat than him yes um i mean yeah it is it's, it's very fun um like you know i guess to, i assume everyone listening to this will have read at least the first few arcs of worms so you know there's very tattletale vibes in that way <laughs> yes. like she's not she's not a physical threat um and, and size kind of manipulator in similar sort of ways um I think what we learn from this fight as well that's really fun, and we see it a lot in this arc, is how Sai, it's not that he doesn't have pride, but he it's like his pride is in focusing on his smarts and outsmarting other people. Like, he will take physical harm to get this mental edge. Like, that's what he does here is, and yeah, we, we saw it in 1.1 as well when he copped the acid hit. Like, he will put his physical body on the line if it means he can maneuver himself in a position to outsmart someone else. Um, so it's this very, like, selective form of pride that he has that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. He, it's not... You're right, it's not really pride, although he is very arrogant. It's an interesting blend, right? Well, he's, he's just... He's got some aspects he's he's proud about. Like, he knows he's not a physical threat, so he doesn't care when he loses dignity on that front because as long as he, he can still feel like he's outplaying them mentally he's willing to take that sacrifice yeah you know like he, he as we already talked about he views every conversation as a bit of a chess match and his physical body is kind of pawn um <laughs> yeah exactly in you know and his mind is is the the king and the queen yeah 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 totally um yeah he he is an interesting character i i will see another fight that he gets into later so i guess we'll talk about this later just the fact that even he's so smart that he it makes him worse at fighting <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah exactly it's it's really fun 
Um, so we get a bit more information on Helen this chapter, and yeah, she's so unique. Um, basically, she's a robot, right? I mean, like, not actually, <laughs> but she basically is a perfect actress at at pretending to be human, um, but she's not. She's She seems to have no actual emotions, or none that she outwardly displays, but she will immediately and very, very effectively act um whether that's acting like a big sister to sigh or uh, acting offended or acting like a a a teenage girl she pulls it off perfectly (laughs) yeah and and the way sigh brings attention to it every time it happens and and like notes himself that he thinks it's kind of creepy really makes that effect land on like us as readers like everything she does becomes super unnerving um and it all sort of leads to this reveal right at the end of the arc which is great um but I, I'm so interested to see the actress aspect of her throughout the rest of the story. Like we even saw in 1.2 briefly, like she interacts with this older lady who wants her to be like a proper lady. And Helen kind of pretends to fit into that role so perfectly. Like you can see how as the femme fatale she's meant to be, she's going to be like so fucking effective. Um, mm. I can't wait to see more of it. Well, we'll see some more later. Um but that's the end of Taking Route 1.4. Let's talk about 1.5, where Sai and the group head to have a meal in the uh, dining hall. And it feels, just as a side note, it feels pretty Hogwarts, right? Did you get that vibe? <laughs> Did you get a Hogwarts vibe from this? Um, I mean, I guess in the sense I don't know I got, why like, I just the old... pictured it as the dining hall in Hogwarts. I, I don't think I did. I, I, but like, I definitely was picturing, you know, old British private school. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, as Australians, we, we grow up with a lot of British TV here, and, and I'm picturing old British private school dining halls we would have seen on British TV yeah. growing up. Yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, so they go to the Harry Potter dining hall to have a meal, and Sai is basically obsessed with trying to figure out how there's going to be an attempt on their life. Um, he suspects that the murder children are going to try and poison them. But luckily, they don't get poisoned. Unfortunately... That's because the plan is to poison everybody except them. Um, <laughs> so basically the entire school starts getting sick, uh, which means, you know, the murder children have kicked uh, things up a notch and we're in a new phase of their plan. It's such a fun twist. Like, this blew my mind as it was happening. I, I loved this. I was like, what? Why? What? Um, like, it, 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 yeah. worked. it worked so effectively on me. Yeah. Yeah, it's a wild one, right? It's like... You... <laughs> How is this the best plan that they could come up with to to poison literally everybody else? But, you know, works out. Yeah, um, and, and I think this chapter is where we also start to see um, something that, that I'm probably going to be bringing up a lot uh, throughout the rest of the arc, which is Sai has this sort of insecurity about, like, himself or his role in the group or, like, you know, what Project Wyvern or whatever is trying to turn him into. Yes. Um, like, they're all uncomfortable with the appointments they have to go to. But Sai gets really upset here where Jamie... Or, or, or Sai says all the terrible things their opponents can do and Jamie sort of quips that, you know, oh, well, Sai's just thinking, what would he do? And Sai actually gets a little bit offended at the suggestion that he would do these terrible things. Like, uh, these, this was the first... It, where, for me, I started to be like... Oh, is there is there a bit of a hero buried deep down within within this you know criminal mastermind boy? Very very deep down. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, no, you're right. Um, and I actually think that the reason this hurts Sai so much is because it comes from Jamie. The two of them have yeah. this weird like bromance, I guess. I mean, they're friends. I don't know if that's the right word when they're thirteen years old. They're obviously close friends, um, brothers, uh, even. And I think that's what makes yeah, well, it. Yeah, and they. 
and they relate to each other i think a bit more than either of them do to gordon yes um, so i think i think they are quite tight yeah yeah um now enough of all this clever diving into things let's talk about the references <laughs> that are made to worm in this um because uh we talk about some books um some books are mentioned and these books include Dolman and the revenge of the swarm queen and Dolman and the song of the moon um so the first one is obviously mannequin versus taylor from worm right yeah, yeah. um the second one i it made me think of moon song because song of the moon is just like makes sense to be moon song but actually you figured out i think a much better thought of what this is referring to <laughs> Well, so yeah, like I I stumbled upon this because like the moon thing in Mannequin, I was like, wasn't Mannequin building like places to live on the moon? So I went to find that quote in Worm, and what I found is is basically a quote of someone saying, yes, uh, Mannequin was trying to build biospheres on the moon, and just as he was getting to do it, uh, that was when the Simurg hit him and sort of turned him into Mannequin. Yeah. Um. So I think the song of the moon is is probably. <sighs> referencing uh good old simmer yes which uh, so that must be a really fun book uh in the Dolman series to read a real uplifting uh, <laughs> Maybe that's chronicle the first book i mean like that's <laughs> when he becomes Dolman, right yeah actually yeah you're right that, that must that must be the first in the series um and then also we get a reference to a book called barber john and the dark forest which maybe I've just got yeah. packed on the brain, but that feels like it's a... No, I, I think that's meant to be a packed reference. And we won't go into it because I, like, I, I do want to avoid packed spoilers yeah. um, in, in this episode. Uh, but yes, yeah, suffice to say, it's some fun little references. And I tried to see if uh, the, the barber and mannequin were chosen specifically. Like, because, you know, my first thought was, oh, well, for a reference, wouldn't you do bone saw? Yeah. Um, and maybe that was just too on the nose or something yeah, but like I a, 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 again this this is like one of those other things where i'm like filing away that it was mannequin and the barber to maybe try and piece that together later in the book as as like brilliant foreshadowing yeah yeah interesting um yeah just a fun note that all of the protagonists from these books are the villains from past wild works which tells us how terrible this world is i guess yeah yeah i mean that that seems on on brand for for where this is and, and maybe that's just part of it mm. like mannequin was more of a villain than bonesaw i think yeah yeah but let's not get into that argument this is a twig <laughs> podcast <laughs> enough about twig let's talk about other wild works um <laughs> i want to call out this line where sai is kind of thinking about the you know attack vectors that people might have used to poison them and he thinks for a second that someone might have powdered her shirt front with a poison that could be inhaled and then hugged him to dose him with the poison and that's like an insane, a fucking insane thing to think, but also like it's very possible seeming. And it's just like so many <laughs> levels of weird plotting deep. And that's just kind of the vibe that we get from this story is like, oh yeah, dusting your shirt front with poison to hug someone to death is totally just like the kind of assassination that is commonplace <laughs> in this world. Yeah. As I've come to experience in every Wild Bow world, um, I'm left sitting here thinking, how do you not just go insanely paranoid 15 minutes into being in this world? Um... But, like, I, I think this sort of captures why I love this as the arc one mystery. Like, this this whodunit sort of, you know, mystery of the assassins in the school. Yeah. Um, because it's got these relatable aspects. Like, you know, the, the school itself, like, we can all sort of relate to a school environment. Um, you, you've got, you know, this, this poison mystery where it's poison in the food or, or, you know, in people's coats or whatever. Like, if it was another giant snake cat thing, like we saw in 1.1... 1. 1, 
it might be easy to get lost in just the mysteries of this world in particular in arc one whereas i think this is such an approachable sort of mystery that we can all kind of get on board and it allows us to focus more on like the characters and, and slowly introduce parts of the world. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the strengths of Wabo's writing, right? Is he takes these fantastical worlds and he makes them relatable through very human <laughs> characters. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is a great choice of an opening arc mystery to, or, uh, you know, arc event to, to sort of center that around. Yeah. Because it is very like, it, it does feel like I called it, uh, you know, Victorian and we talked about Sherlock Holmes a bit, but it does feel at least more relatable in that sense of like, okay, it's a Sherlock Holmes murder mystery. It's a Poirot kind of thing. We can mm. get behind that. It lets us kind of see what people are doing in this world and get on board with something that's relatively easy to get behind. Yeah, exactly. And that way we can focus more on the characters. Yes. Um, so yeah, uh, in, in 1.6, the group basically tries to get away to safety from this kind of uh, school that is going into lockdown, but uh, they end up being split up by a meddling teacher. Oh, parents just don't Ugh. understand, am I right? Um, so Sai and Jamie go back to their dorm room to hunker down, uh, but they're interrupted again by Ed, who is the boy that Sylvester fought uh, one or two chapters ago. And Sylvester almost strings, uh, springs this trap that he had prepared on him, but realizes that Ed isn't one of the murder children and so decides to spare him. Uh, this trap would have maybe not killed him, but at least maimed him pretty bad. Um, uh, unfortunately, Ed was working for one of the murder children and delivers him to Mary, who dismisses Ed before pulling a gun on Sylvester. Yeah. Yeah. So again, uh, another little hint that there's maybe a bit of a hero there that Cy didn't want to hurt Ed. Yeah. Uh, given that Ed's an innocent, like, especially cause Ed just beat the shit out of him. Like it would be perfectly understandable if just on an emotional level side just wanted to hurt him back. Yeah. Um, but he doesn't. I, I think he gives the explanation of like, well, it wouldn't have helped anything, but I mean, like, sure, yeah. but Sai, you do a lot of things that aren't helpful in any way. Um, it's, it, it is a kind of compassionate move. Like, Sai could mm. spring the trap and fuck it up. And that might even be the correct, like, tactical decision, but he doesn't do it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Like, as we learn more about, like, I, so mis my understanding at this point of what is happening to these kids is that they're regularly being injected with some sort of neuro-affecting formula that you know like exaggerates certain neurological patterns or whatever so you know I, I think we're starting to maybe get insights into the the little boy that Sai was before they started doing this to him um but to, to go back to the wider chapter um like you know as they get back and everything i i love how just unashamedly gross this chapter is <laughs> like Sai spends half of it wielding a pitcher full of vomit that he uses to offer to people to vomit in as a threat um you know he's ready to use it as a weapon um it, this is one of our first chances at like seeing the whole group in action since 1.1 1 .1. uh and it, it's just it's just really fun yeah it's great um I, I love helen in this chapter she plays this terrified child who is worried that she's gonna die from this poison and obviously it's complete bullshit but she's putting it on for the purpose of some other children and a teacher and it's so terrifying how effective she is at it like it it works exactly how she wants it to work yeah helen's really interesting because like she feels quite close to this perfect ideal of of all of them like she's got in some ways you know she's like the second best at everything at least in the group i would say yes like she seems like the closest thing to an all-rounder plus she's got 
crazy special abilities um so i'm really interested like i don't know helen's just the most fun i think at the end of arc one the person i'm excited to see like more of the most would be helen Mm. um i just want to learn more about like what makes her tick because she's so unique and seemingly kind of like yeah, creepy good at everything like i don't know i'm so excited to see more of her but also she has this weird like innocence about her i would say maybe not innocence but this like naivety that is very childlike in my eyes uh, i don't know if i agree with that because she she's like there's a quite a number of times where she's only like one step behind Sai in how to manipulate people yeah um yeah maybe i, I don't know what a, it's like like that scene later on where she's reunited with Dr. Ibbert and she is like subservient to him in this way of like, mm. I don't know, I can't quite put my finger on it. It just feels like she's, I mean, this feels ridiculously obvious, but like stunted developmentally, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, look, I'm going to be honest, I'm counting down the chapters till she kills Ibbert. Uh, I, ha- <laughs> I have to believe that's coming. Um yeah yeah I, like i mean that's the thing i like she she's really interesting because and we are jumping ahead but she's got this whole thing where she was grown in a vat and from the seams of it she didn't really get any natural instincts and she's kind of learned everything to do with like facial expressions everything it's all manual um and that's such a fun idea like we talked about this whole spectrum or it's not even a spectrum of humanity it's a all the different facets of humanity and putting different weights on them it's a three-dimensional spectrum i don't know what that's called but yeah. um an n-dimensional spectrum but like yeah she's like it's just really fun i can't wait to learn more about her and and see how she ticks yeah literally probably um (laughs) (laughs) so uh in our next chapter 1.7 uh mary and Sai basically have a conversation while mary is holding sylvester at gunpoint um she's grilling him for information about his group while he is basically trying to get her on side or not even on side but just off guard enough that she'll make a mistake and eventually, Gordon tracks Sylvester down. Mary escapes, but before she does, takes a shot at Gordon and then intentionally misses her shot at Sylvester. Yeah, and so, like, I know we've already sort of talked a little bit about how great this story was at, like, dressing the setting uh, in Chapter 1.1. But for me, 1.7 was far and away the best example of this this real strength Wildbo has at drawing these very cinematic scenes. Mm. Like the way Mary is sort of lit up by the lines of the furnace and size in the dark and he can't see properly and she can like, it's just one of those scenes that draws itself in your head so perfectly and, and very cinematically. Like you, you just picture her as so much taller and bigger and, and covered in light and size like in the corner dark. Like I just, you know, it, I just loved how, like, visual this scene was. Yeah, it, it is evocative, isn't it? Um, it's The entire chapter is this gunpoint conversation, and it's so gripping the whole way through. Um, it's, yeah. it's really a very engaging chapter. Um, we, we, this is the chapter where we really see how good at manipulation Sylvester is. Like, yeah. he's playing some hardcore 3D chess here. And it's so fun. Um, he, he's you made a, an allusion to Tattletale before, and I, I agree. Like I think Sylvester's Wildbo's exploration of what would it be like if Tattletale was our protagonist, and it's so much fun exploring um, because this whole chapter is just Sylvester thinking, well, if I say this, she might think of this, and it might lead her down this path of thought. And it's such a different kind of conflict to anything that we're used to from uh, Wabo's works or just, you know, in general, because it's completely mental. It's this complete, like, manipulation conflict of Sai trying to lead Mary to certain thoughts while not trying to be discovered that he's doing that. And it's so fun. Yeah, and I think it really works because we get all those 
insights via the narration of why he's doing what he's doing and what it what it means like you know it's like as he moves each chess piece in the conversation he's commenting on why he's done this move yes. uh which makes it like really fun and, and sort of really satisfying to follow yeah um I, I mean the, the the best part though is obviously where the section where he surprises himself with a truth about himself to surprise her um like you know uh, this is this was a chapter that was for me like mary and Sai. he was drawing a lot of parallels between them and i totally started to see it as well and i think the funny thing is is Sai towards the end of the conversation realizes that he sees them as well like he's not bullshitting here like a lot of what he was saying wasn't as much of a lie as he thought it was uh, and i just think he's so good at bullshitting that he starts to convince mary he starts to convince us and then eventually he even starts to convince himself <laughs> yeah yeah maybe i mean it's the same diff in the end if everyone believes it i suppose yeah. um but like yeah uh there's obviously also this is the first mention we get of um yvette yes uh who is is one of the people you mentioned earlier who from the group who's died um so again that's a fun mystery i can't wait to learn more about uh as the rest of the story unfolds yeah um speaking of the rest of the story let's move on to 1.8 it's called segways right it's natural it keeps the conversation flowing elliot um unless we stop to talk about it uh so sylvester regroups with his team after being rescued and then he does a bit of like like criminal profiling i guess to try and figure out exactly who the mastermind is and they narrow it down a bit before sylvester pulls some tricky maneuvers to uh basically manipulate things to his own advantage um he he leaves this great letter to the headmistress that we'll talk about um and from there he gets the location of a few teachers checks them out and the first one he visits mr percy is the mastermind the puppeteer <laughs> um yeah and, and so this chapter's kind of split in half like the first half is as you said size explaining uh everything he learned to the rest of the group and to be frank to us um at least in my case um about what he got out of this confrontation with mary and they're starting to theorize uh and then we move into that second half which is where we really get to see like the the snake uh sigh like in action uh it's very fun it's like it's like a really cool detective scene like he's sort of talked about but also because it's sigh it involves like pointing knives at people's crutches and like writing stuff in blood uh it's, it's very fun <laughs> it's so much fun um and okay i think the funnest part of this story so far is the dynamics between this group right and the one we haven't touched on yet is the dynamic between sylvester and lillian we touched on it a bit in the first chapter but god damn their dynamic is so much fun <laughs> he, he just teases her so much and like presumably he goes a bit harder on her because she's not exactly one of the gang but she obviously kind of is as well like they clearly see her as one of the gang it's pretty what's adorable. interesting because she's very new like he brings up in 1.1 that this is like her third mission with them or something yes. and if it, it almost feels like in 1.1 he thinks of her as not as part of the group whereas you don't get that impression in the latter half of the arc yes um or at least i didn't um and then yeah there's this moment where uh so he goes on a big spiel early in the chapter about how um what he did to mary was create dissonance so he he challenged a belief that was so core to her identity um that it makes her very predictable because there's only a few things someone will do when their whole identity is threatened yes um and what's funny is that uh this gets delivered on later when he compliments lillian and she basically gets the same look on her face and he realizes that him being nice to her has 
given her the same feeling of dissonance and basically <laughs> like has shaken her core understanding of everything yeah. uh, to the same level which is is so fun yeah it's so good yeah I, this really I'm, I'm so excited to see this relationship continue to evolve because it's so it's such a thrilling one to me yeah I, yeah i agree um like he he does you know as you said he seems to tease her more than the others um is it because he sees her as different is it just because he knows she'll react more because she's she's newer so she's less immune to his bullshit like um it's gonna be very interesting to see yeah where that goes yeah um and again sylvester is at full sherlock holmes mode here right like he's doing the deductive reasoning yes but he's also doing this like manipulation of the headmistress the trick with that note is so good he like goes out of his way to make it as confusing as possible just to ensure that she reacts (laughs) more primally and it's it's 10 out of 10 sherlock holmes stuff from sylvester this chapter so great work si (laughs) <laughs> um yeah like the the sort of focus he has on on this idea of people as bugs in a box like this is a philosophy he espouses in this chapter and i, I find it so interesting like the idea that you know if you've got a bunch of bugs in a box it can be impossible to predict where they're going to move there's too much chaos but if you like shake the box and then give them a light they'll all go towards it and like that you say like you know he doesn't predict people he makes people predictable um yes by doing terrible things to them uh it's such a fun concept uh and and you know as we've already touched on in a world where the concept of human uh is probably going to be challenged in just about every angle it can be challenged on it's going to be really fun to see his philosophy fail in all the various ways it can when people don't <laughs> respond as he expects uh, i'm sure that won't happen elliot what are you talking about? <laughs> um again so si- si thinks about yvette here and and perhaps some others who are dead um I, like yeah I, I don't yeah again i don't quite know what to make of this i just i'm, I'm bringing it up to file it away as um because i think he links them directly to his own experiment like was he not the first wyvern um i don't know um i, I mean i think like what's what's really fun about this whole thing is like we you know we're really seeing at this point in the arc how defined the roles of each member of the group is like when they trust one person's judgment how they all sort of trust each other and know each other's roles um and we already sort of talked about this feels like a world where all these experiments are kind of running amok. Um, so I, like, I, I imagine what's going to start to happen is as the group grows, they're going to start to uh, like branch out of those roles uh, for, for want of a less punny word for it. Um, <laughs> it just, like, I just got it. Sorry. <laughs> uh, like, you know, we've seen all these little seeds of like Psy not being as terrible as he's maybe meant to be mm. and i'm just really interested to maybe see as the story evolves if these if, if our gang here is going to start to branch out of their allocated roles and whether that's going to be a good thing like would be my guess like you know they're gonna they're gonna be better off for it yeah i mean you're right we'll have to see how that goes as the story evolves i suppose yeah so to, to, to just to jump ahead a bit but while we're talking about it in 1.10 Sai has this whole sort of bit where he thinks to himself like oh what would all the others say at this mm. point like he, he he tries to put himself in each of their shoes yeah. to come up with the best plan and that for me is you know starting to see like you know hales built this team where they're each meant to fulfill a role but if they get good enough with each other they can start to not need all of them all the time and that's going to be a really fun way for them to get a lot better at what they do mm. yeah yeah um so uh in uh, 1.9 sylvester listens in as mary is speaking with percy the puppet master and he's kind of gathering small bits of information about their relationship 
Um, Mary and Percy decide to head back to the school to meet the rest of the murder children, and Sylvester attacks as they leave Percy's house. Successfully, uh, he injures Percy, who runs to the school, and Mary kind of starts hiding in the shadows, and yeah, the game is afoot. Yeah, and and I mean, Ike, I talked about how that first conversation drew parallels between Mary and Cy, but I think this chapter does it even more. Like, watching Mary and and Percy, or um, in fact, like, Cy only ever really calls him the puppeteer i yeah. don't know if Sai ever uses the net the the term percy for him yeah like to him he's just the puppeteer do you think that uh, they're kind of dehumanizing him a bit or oh i think i think there might be a bit of projecting there because what i was going to say is comparing mary and percy <laughs> is, is a lot like comparing Sai and hale like that was instantly yeah. where my mind went yeah um and, and like you know like watching mary and percy kind of like logic their way to who these kids are reminded me of when the kids logic their way to who Percy was like last chapter. Yeah, definitely. They feel like Um, mirror images of each other. Right. Yeah. Like that, that was a big thing for me is like, as this whole conflict goes on for the whole rest of this arc, you can't help but realize that the goodies and the baddies share a lot more traits than, 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 than they don't like, I don't, you know, they've just fallen on opposite sides of, of the river, but you know, there's, there's a lot of similarities between these two groups. Yeah. Um, can we talk about Mary? Because, I mean, she's so interesting, right? Yeah. She the, the Her relationship to Percy is so fascinating because she's... We kind of got the picture of the murder children as these... Again, almost like zombies, almost like murder zombies. Um, but Mary is so not that. She's clearly feels such a genuine like familial paternal love for percy and and percy seems to feel similarly for her and it's so funny like it's obvious that (laughs) it's obvious that when you compare the actual genuine fam familial relationship that these two have and then you kind of look at the familial relationship that the lambs have it's like who's actually the goodies here like both of these groups have genuine (laughs) care for each other there's no there's no good place on the scale to be here right yeah like my summary of this this whole conflict would be like a narcissism of small differences type situation um like it it basically comes down to which side of the academy you ended up on yeah exactly Uh, like that that's and you know we see when when mary switches later um but yeah like i wait to you know obviously you've got this mary and percy relationship and like you said there seems to be genuine affection there on both sides, yes. um, you know, especially as we learn later. Um, and so it's interesting to compare this to Sai and Hale, where, like, I didn't get affection from either side, but I kind of, I think Sai phrases it as, like, respect. Yeah. Like, you know, it, it, it's, it, his relationship with his father figure is closer to a business working relationship than it is any sort of loving relationship. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's going to be really fun, I guess, to see where that relationship goes and maybe how it ties back to what Mary and Percy had of... Uh, like I, I can't decide if I want to say had or have. <laughs> ah, yes. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I do love the reflections between Percy and Mary and Cy and Hale. And, yeah, I mean, I think we'll there's something we might dive into more in our next episode of On the Lamb. <laughs> Let's not make any promises. <laughs> <in the topic. laughs> um, so... Taking Route 1.10, uh, the gang regroups again and starts searching the school for their quarry. Um, Sai finds the rest of the group as they're tracking down one of the murdered children. And they've already dealt with another, so um, the only people left are the eldest murder child, Mary and Percy. 
Uh, so they eventually find them, and a fight breaks out before Percy throws a curveball. Uh, he's gone, seemingly, and the headmistress has emerged, reading the trigger words, the uh, the Manchurian candidate kill phrase for this eldest clone. Um, yeah, like I I love the way that size genius plan with the note has backfired on him here yes. like the bit where he realizes what's happened and it's like oh fuck uh it, it's almost as good as when everyone gets poisoned uh <laughs> in the in the dining hall before um especially because he he goes on a whole spiel like earlier in the chapter like oh you know i'm never wrong and the headmistress has definitely believed my note you can trust me and the best part of that is he was right in fact she trusted it so much that percy was just able to completely 180 flip it back on them yeah um brilliant it it and I mean, you know, the the sort of mental chess match that Sai and Mary are engaged in early in this chapter, despite the fact that I think neither of them is anywhere near each other, um, but like you can tell, they're both having to act as if the other one is right around the corner. It's 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 really fun, like watching Sai uh, just try and make his way through the halls and avoid where he thinks Mary could be. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it's this weird, like, yeah, mental chess match, but also the reason it's so fun is because neither of them actually knows where the other one is, so it's this weird game of playing tag against somebody that's, like, invisible, or you don't know where they are, right? It's, it's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like, I think, like, you know, there's, there's even a read where you could suggest that she wasn't even ever, ever really there. Um, I, I think there's one bit where he thinks she went through the window, but you know what? That's that's it. They never see each other. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. It's so much fun. Um, now, okay. So this is the second time I've read this part of the story, right? And so this is the first thing that I didn't actually catch on my first read through, which is um, in size in a monologue, he starts referring to Lillian as Lil right after she says that she hates it. So, and actually, <laughs> I noticed. It continues for the entire rest of this arc. So, yeah, yeah. Um, up until this point, Sai has been referring to Lillian as Lillian, and then she says the phrase, I hate it when people call me Lil, Lillian. And then for the rest of the story, as far as we've seen, in Sai's internal monologue, it is Lil. Sai refers to her <laughs> as Lil, not just to her face, inside his head, just to make sure that it <laughs> sticks, which is such an asshole move. Like, it's so Sylvester. Well, yeah, I think that's the thing is like, it's really showing you, like, it's not for show. Like the, the, the fact that he makes this transition just in, in, into his internal monologue shows like how deeply rooted this need to push buttons is in him. Um, you know, presumably again, thanks to whatever these, these treatments are. Um, but I, I mean, the, the bit that really got to me is, uh, when he's sort of explaining what he weren't uh when he was eavesdropping on mary and percy yeah uh and he sort of says to the group um the the boys are mary's brothers uh to mary and the puppeteer mary is the sister it's a little family unit and uh jamie brings up that uh Cy had just called helen his sister yes and uh Cy responds oh those those two things aren't related <laughs> and it was just like this is the least convincing lie Cy tells all arc yeah <laughs> like it's it's so funny how transparently false that is to everyone except baby him um it's great <laughs> you're right it's so not a convincing lie <laughs> but yeah he said it and i was like oh come on, come so on you're cleverer than we're, that. we're past this surely <laughs> um so uh in 1.11 uh, the eldest clone has been triggered, and now he's in full murder child mode, and um, Gordon basically almost gets himself killed trying to deal with this child, who is, uh, I think, one or two years older than him. Um, 
eventually both Gordon and this eldest murder child are kind of taken out of the fight. And so it's the remaining weaker lambs against Mary, who basically, uh, you, you get the sense if she was at her like proper emotional state right now, she would take care of them really easily. <laughs> Um, yeah, but that's that's what Psy does. Yes. Is he doesn't let you be in that in that mental state. Psy yes, continues to work on her until, and she is obviously going through some really hard times right now. You do <laughs> like I felt bad for her here that she had to oh, go yeah. up against Psy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we probably haven't given that the the airtime that it deserves. Like the existential crisis Mary is going through at the hands of Psy. Um, but we actually we should get there when when Sai gets the note. I think yeah, that'll be the best time perfect. to talk about it. Um, um but so, like overall, this is a really cool action scene. Yes. like this whole this whole chapter. I love watching Sai be in a fight despite being so shit at it. But he just like yeah, he just tries to place himself in positions where the others can do good things. <laughs> like he, yeah, he, he he just um he just tries to get in the way. I mean he he uses himself as a bit of a sacrificial lamb, right? Hey hey. <laughs> um oh sorry <laughs> yeah he does do that um <laughs> yeah, jokes no, aside he, he, he does. does do that um and so well, like and, and then of course there's the bit where he throws helen at mary um yes because and he sort of thinks to himself better her than me and i was just like oh no sorry i was just starting to like you i was just thinking there was a hero under there um and I lost that for a second, but it, it was all okay. Yeah. I, you know, faith restored. Yes. So, uh, Helen turns out to be a monster. Um, she basically <laughs> reveals her true form doing this kind of boa constricting thing where she just kind of ensnares Mary in her like twisty body, I guess you would say. I'm not going to lie. I didn't really follow what was happening. But I think I get it's the intentionally that... hard to follow exactly what Mary's body, sorry, Helen's body is doing because it, yeah. we're kind of in Mary's head where it's like, what the fuck is happening right now? <laughs> yeah. All I, all I really got from it is that like limbs are moving in ways they shouldn't be able to move and it catches like Mary completely off guard. Yes. Which is fair. Well, yes, it caught me off guard too. And I've already read this yeah, story. Exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, so uh, Mary is kind of captured and Sylvester offers her a place on the lambs um let's talk about helen a bit more because this is so terrifying right and the explanation that it's not just that she's an actress she's actually like a full-on monster um and that's not me being mean that's like (laughs) the technical term for what she is um and it's like we bought into sylvester's kind of trickery up until this point of he convinced mary that she was just an actress and we kind of bought it as well I, i i love that they unfold the way they unfold yeah, well, that's the thing. Her, her whole actress aspect, which up until now has been one of the most powerful parts of the group, um, is actually just a side effect to her real purpose. Yeah. You, like, like that, that's what I love about it. Um, and, and, like, yeah, we obviously get the reveal here that of all of them, like, Helen is, is the only one of the, the lambs that was vat-grown. Well, until now, because obviously we've got Mary, and, I, like, I think that's going to be a really fun angle to play with. Like, you know, obviously we're going to be exploring what is human, not just throughout the whole story, but specifically with the lambs and now having these yes. two that grown members is going to be a really fun way to uh like i guess start looking at that yeah definitely um um especially because well, we should talk about it now but yeah. um Sai has completely turned mary around because he's made her realize that um you know percy is you know just using her and he doesn't actually care for her and um 
that's not true like yeah especially we see in the interlude that that that's not completely true like percy actually did really care for her and that's gonna be very fun to play with later i imagine yes uh we'll get to this but percy survives so um you can't help but think hold on i spy (laughs) a potential web of lies that could come crashing down here (laughs) yeah exactly but it's 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 so fun because like this whole thing with mary like i think it was so much sigh projecting like um i got this real sense of you know if he can turn mary against percy and and you know she's without her creator whatever and she's Mm. you know with them like i feel like maybe there's a sense of like that's the closest he can get to freeing himself from project wyvern and the academy Mm. like like I, i feel like there's a sense of he's trying to save her from a situation that's kind of similar to his um and like what's interesting is yes he's achieved that but it turns out she maybe in a better position than he was so yeah it's 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 gonna be so fun to see where this goes Mm, definitely um so our final chapter of this arc uh 112 uh until we get to the interlude our final numbered chapter the lambs head back to radham academy to be debriefed and healed and uh appointmented um they're all taken (laughs) off to their respective areas which all seem to be horrible in their own ways um and we see mary decide to join the lambs and she starts revealing information about percy um namely he wasn't acting alone there is a larger group at play here there's a conspiracy brewing yeah um so yeah I, like i mean so like something that i want to talk about with mary at the end here is we have our attention drawn to the fact that hale notices that Sai is like helping mary and Sai no points out a number of times in this chapter he's really making mistakes because he's, he's quite tired yeah. and he's all beat up and stuff yeah. um but yeah like i mean i think i think it's pretty safe to say now that like he likes mary like you know i think he he really wants her in the group because i think he genuinely likes her yes um and and hale's obviously seen that and i was just talking about like you know these parallels between hale and and Cy and mary and percy it's gonna be really fun to see what they do with mary uh, if they allow her on the group um and you know i i talked about how maybe Cy was trying to liberate her from her old captor but has he just put her in a worse situation with his captor um or or creator um yeah i I guess we'll see Mm, i guess no comment (laughs) (laughs) um i mean obviously we should we should touch on the bit early in this chapter as well which is that delivery on the bit from 1.3 about uh where lacy basically comes in and says goodbye because she's quitting the program sylvester has talked her into quitting (laughs) uh and and you know Again, this is the the first of size big mistakes in this chapter where just because he's tired, he actually just accidentally tells her the truth about why he's pushing her away. Um, and it's because she's good at her job and he doesn't want that. Um, because, and again, like, I think this is that thing, like, I don't think Sai wants to be the way he is. And for whatever reason, he doesn't seem to be able to consciously process that very well. But like, I, I feel like, you know, things like pushing Lacey away, that's his way of trying to fuck with the program so it can't be as effective i guess yeah well yeah it's unclear i think whether it's that which it definitely could be i think is a fair read or if it's sylvester he he kind of just wants more autonomy and so he wants people who aren't going to give a shit as much about their job and we see in 1.12 the other people that are involved with him who clearly don't give a shit and that seems to be (laughs) what he wants yeah that's fair that's fair um I, i i think maybe it's the same thing yeah in true. a way like, <laughs> like yeah that might just be two ways of phrasing the same idea yeah yeah fair enough 
Um, so yeah, as we round out the end of the first arc, I think the big question that I have for you, Elliot, is what do you think about the Academy? I mean, it just seems like a cool place full of nice, well-meaning yeah, people. Yeah, pushing the pushing um, the the, uh, the the envelope in respect to science, advancing <laughs> yeah. the world, you know, making the in world a, a better place. In a responsible way. Yeah, ethical, I'm um, sure. Yeah, no, I'm I'm assuming we're going to learn that the Academy is like at best like a kind of bull rider uh in how they're controlling the science of this world like i assume they're flying by the seats of their pants as much as anyone and they're fostering the illusion of control to stop society from completely falling apart um i i guess i guess we'll see but um i i said i said we weren't going to do packed spoilers and this is very early like you know general packed spoilers Shame so my my apologies but like i do just want to quickly bring up like packed packed at a very high level was sort of looking at power structures and how like entrenched power structures can be a problem um like that was one of the things pact was talking about and i think even in our pact sequel brainstorming session in apu i talked about oh like wouldn't it be cool if a sequel to pact looked at you know what does changing a system look like and i don't think we need that anymore because like twig is is doing that uh in a very explicit way where like twig has gone the opposite tack and it's like here's a like here's a power system that is just completely out of control from the looks of it. Like, things are going, and I, I don't think anyone has any control over what's happening on a large scale here, and the Academy and whatever the Shadow Academy thing is, <laughs> like, are maybe going to try and attempt to do it, but it's like, you know, like, this is just, like, a system that is changing at an uncontrollable rate, and how do you how do you deal with a system like that? I think that's what Twig is maybe going to be looking at, and like that's really fun as a conceptual follow up to some of the themes Pact was addressing. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I, I like the fact that there are clear threads of Wabo, seemingly Wabo thinking. Well, I I would have liked to explore this or this a bit more. So let's try and tie some themes of that into this world. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to jump ahead and we'll talk about the interlude and then we'll wrap up with a bit of a of an appointment. Um, okay. So uh, the interlude, Enemy, uh, it follows their enemy, who was Percy in this arc. Um, it's Percy trying to escape Dog and Catcher, who are referenced other Academy kind of projects um, that, that yeah. uh, seem to be basically bounty hunters for the Academy. Um, Dog... And catcher the bounty hunters. Uh, anyway, so Percy <laughs> tries to escape them, but fails. Uh, he is caught very easily. But uh, at the last moment before he is caught and carted away to the academy, he's rescued by a mysterious group of villains, maybe, uh, <laughs> who ask him to continue his work, but with more support and more resources. Yeah. Um. So I mean, this is really fun that it's just sort of an interlude that's from the perspective of the enemy. Um. It gives us, like, uh, you, you know, to finish off the arc, it, it really feels like it's setting up this, uh, you know, presumably conflict that's probably going to define most of the story, at least. Yeah. Um, I mean, it seems like we've just got a council of people who are spurned or don't believe in the Academy. Um, it's a while by work, though, so there's probably going to be some other twist on it that I don't see coming. Um, so I can't wait to learn more about that. Um, this is also, I had pulled out the quote where um, the some a name that's mentioned a couple of times particularly in this chapter is wallstone mm-hmm. um and uh, yeah this is where I'd, I'd noticed that wallstonecraft was mary shelley's um my mum's maiden name so it's a really fun direct reference to sort of frankenstein 
uh you know frankenstein's works there uh, well, like i think i think that's a really it, it's a it's an indirect and niche kind of reference to tie the world a bit to something that i think must have been a bit of an inspiration yes um i love the idea that uh potentially mary shelley was the first actually the first uh biomancer <laughs> in this world and defined a lot of how this world changed i think that's a great little beat yeah i mean like because because you know like I, I think the the themes we're already seeing in Twig are, are extensions and, and playing off of stuff that Frankenstein touched on. And if you want to hear us talk more about that, go right back to Meteor and Bay. Oh, yeah, I think Frankenstein we did talk about the, Frankenstein. I forgot that. It was one of that. the first ones we did, actually. Um, it's probably not a good episode. I actually changed my mind. Don't, don't go oh, listen God, to it. Oh, God, it's a real early one. Um, it's like episode eight or something. Yeah, damn. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, like, you know, a lot of the things that are brought up in Frankenstein, um, like, like you know, science run, running out of control and stuff, like, that's that's what Twig is extending from the looks of it. So it's it's good to see it sort of directly referenced in as a, you know, something that has controlled the direction of this world. Yeah, definitely. Um, now, the listeners at home can't see this, but I've posted some fan art of Dog and Catcher in the notes which just gives us a nice little picture of what they look like they're adorable um i love i don't want it to be like experimenting and trying new things for for this pilot season but um putting pictures in our notes what if i can't see i don't know uh, if this is a segment that's gonna stick all right right. i'll describe it so the picture of dog he kind of looks like a dragon it's got a lot of reddy browny kind of colors yellowy browns and he's got big horns and somebody is feeding him an apple and that's the story yeah well i'm not going to really criticize the dog picture because it's you know obviously a thousand times better than i can do and if you doubt that go back and watch all packed up and see the art (laughs) that we did do um but like this dog looks too organic like the descriptions in the thing it's got like all this metallic framing yes um like all these tubes and again like i think this is a great example of the the situation of this world like we talked about how all the buildings are being held up by like these trees that are kind of semi-controlled growths um to support the buildings and like you know here we've got this giant experiment that's held together by extra tubes and metal limbs that were added to it like this this world is just such a fucking mess um it's uh, like and i love how that that's sort of echoed in all these designs yeah definitely um yeah the the yeah it, it is a beautiful theme for a world right the idea of everything barely holding on um yeah, I, I want to talk about Perseus. Well, the the tech the technical debt that they're amassing in this world is just truly out of control. Ah, <laughs> oh, you're a fucking. I'm, nerd. I'm sorry. You're I'm sorry for that one. Yeah, yeah. I terrible. apologize. Um, I, I want to talk about Percy. I I I don't <laughs> like him. Like I don't feel any compassion for him, and I don't know why because he's clearly not the worst character that we've met so far in this story. Um, yeah, that I, would I go had the to same thing where I'm I was assuming. like, yeah, I, I mean that's the I I had the same sort of thought. Where I was like, well, he's, you know, he's not that bad. He actually. He has reasons to hate the Academy, and, and he did seem to like Mary. Um, although, of course, Mary is the clone of another kid that he sold. Yes. And um, he, you know, sold and kidnapped and killed children, so it seems weird to try and defend him as well. Like, yeah. yeah. But I think that's just this world, right? Is like, is there any character so far that we can look at and say they're, they're you know, they're doing great? Yeah, no, there isn't. But I just, I can't, <laughs> I don't feel any compassion for Percy. Like, he's just a tool in every sense of the word right <laughs> um yeah i i don't know i i feel like i feel like you may be being harsher on him than i am uh personally but like i i mean i get it he's definitely not a good person mm, yeah um yeah look i'm i'm just gonna say it i'm pro academy 
they've done no wrong that I can see. <laughs> I think I, my my opinion so far is that being pro anything in this world is, is a, a, a mistake. Hot take. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of the Academy, Elliot, uh, as we as everyone obviously knows, listening to this show, at the end of each episode, it's time for your appointment. It's Elliot's Uh-oh. appointment. Musical sting. Elliot, welcome to your appointment. Um, <laughs> time for us to check in on just how you're feeling about Pact as a whole. So let's start. Wait, Pact? Or... Oh, shit, sorry. Uh, <laughs> Old habits die yeah, hard. <laughs> uh, Twig, time to check in on how you're feeling about Twig as a whole. So let's start by talking about the arc title, Taking Root. What do you think? What do you think is the theme of this arc title? Um, I mean, t- to take root is to like become fixed or established. Mm. And that's what the story's doing. Like, it makes sense as an arc one title. Mm. Um, definitely yes and then obviously you know we start to see these various groups that are presumably going to be in the story taking root so i, I don't know that okay I guess. yeah definitely um what are some th- <laughs> this is really i'm very uncomfortable right now <laughs> what, what are some themes from this arc that you enjoy it's an appointment it's not meant to be pleasant ellie what are some themes <laughs> from this arc that you that you that you found i mean yeah I, like we've already sort of touched on all this as you'd expect but like the fact that all the goodies and the baddies are just kind of the same um something that mm-hmm. really hit home for me in this arc um and then yeah like again as we've touched on just how fragile this world is like it's it, it's on the brink of just completely losing control i think mm. and how does that make you feel i mean excited as a reader mm. yes yes now how well do you think mary will integrate with the team do you think they'll let her on board i mean i do just because it's been so set up in arc one it'd be a weird thread to just sidle around maybe um but I think she'll be good for the team. Wait, they need more physical threats. That became clear when they were fighting her two chapters ago. <laughs> yeah, it would have really helped if she was on the team back when they were fighting her. <laughs> uh, but, like, you know, apart from, like, Gordon, who can do fist fights, they need, like, a, a long-range fighter. Mm. So it'd be, be good to have her. I think she'll play off Psy in a really fun way. I already talked about how there were so many similarities drawn between them. Um, because I think they share a lot of traits, but they're also probably going to butt heads on some things. Like she is someone who was not built to be a member of this group, and it's going to be really fun to see how she integrates into the team. And maybe does she fill this hole that Yvette left? I still don't know who Yvette is. Maybe <laughs> Cy likes her so much because she reminds him of Yvette. Maybe Mary is Yvette. Who knows? Well, that would be a, what a, a twist. twist that I wouldn't understand yet. Um, <laughs> and how did you find the story so far? I mean, I, I really like it. And is that... Do you have any other thoughts on it? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, no. I mean, yeah, this is really fun. I'm obviously... I'm I'm enjoying the this this biopunk stuff that we talked about. Uh, you know, I always loved this stuff and some of the other Wildbow works, like the body horror stuff. Uh, so I'm, I'm right here for it. Um, I quite like that we have a team here that just functions like a good unit. I always enjoy that part of stories where the team is just like a well-oiled machine and like that is going to be tested i know but yes i also like that we get to see these moments where they're just an effective strike team yeah definitely um yeah it's fun right like fuck it's so much fun the start of this story the dynamics in this group the way they play off each other like a fucking like the children version of the cast from it's always sunny in philadelphia it's great (laughs) it's just so much fun um yeah i mean it's also really fun having a wildbo protagonist who's just like a normal human boy um yeah sure that's exactly like, what like, he you is know, yeah he's just a normal human <laughs> well, boy um in terms of like physical abilities like oh, I you, see. you yeah. know 
like Taylor uh, had had bug controlling powers. Mm-hmm. The other protagonists in Wild Bill Works have had powers of their own. Sai obviously has some some like mental stuff going on, but like physically, in fact, he's not even a regular human. He's a less he's worse than regular than a normal child. Yes. <laughs> um, and, oh, that that's a fun, unique thing that like uh, I'm excited to see unfold throughout the rest of the story. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I'm excited to see it uh, unfold through the rest of the story as well. Um, I guess we'll have to talk about that next time when we talk about arc two for on the lamb or again will stop we? making promises we can't keep <laughs> or will we because um, yes this was our first pilot um if you'd like to leave us your thoughts on what you thought of on the lamb how much do you like it compared to our other pilots or just by I, itself yeah i mean it's the first one so maybe leave those comments till yeah, a bit later in pilot later. season yeah, yeah. um but you know you can let us know what you thought about on the lamb in general and stuff uh we'll, we'll have a reddit thread uh that you'll find in the show notes down below. Yep. Uh, there's also a Google form that uh, you can go to where you can leave your thoughts directly. Um, or, hey, shoot us a message on the Discord. That's where we're going to be chatting about these pilots as they come out as well. That Discord, I should say, is available to all patrons of the Doof Media Network who back us for any amount of money. One dollar a month or more, but I actually don't think you can do less than that. So any amount of money and you get access to the discord yeah and it's it's honestly it's such a great place you should really come hang out with us uh if if you haven't already uh you know we're all getting through the the quarantine together uh it's a great online community to be to be doing that with um so you know head on over to patreon.com forward slash doof media and have a look if you're interested yes and of course this show on the lamb wouldn't exist without Wildbo. So um, for possibly the final time, I'm going to say this, head on over to Patreon, uh, to Wildbo's Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Wildbo. Yeah, because uh, like, you know, that Patreon is what keeps him writing and we want him to do that. Yeah. Um, I, I'm pretty sure. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you can speak for me and say that. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> um, thanks for joining us, folks. Leave us your thought on this pilot and we'll see you next week for another new pilot. Yes, uh, we'll be diving into the Empire of the East uh, for our next one. See you there.